Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. Welcome back to the 40 Under 40 podcast. This is AJ McQuarrie, and this is my radio voice, folks. Yeah, what? I was going to say, you sound real official right now. Right? How are you? Good. You know, what's what's going on? I feel like... You know, like... just another podcast. Just another day, another great day in the life. All right, so I was at my friend's place the other day, and they have all these interesting books. I really need to get better about having books, but anyway, another story. Um, they have this book called how I will teach you to be rich. Ah, love that by Ramit Sethi, I think his name is. Yeah. Have you read it? Yeah, I read it actually last year. I listened to it on Audible. Okay. So are you rich? I mean, I'm working on it, girl. Anyway, um, a lot about that book, you know, really dives into kind of the basics of things like investing and like managing your money. These things that we don't really learn in school. Negotiating your salary at work. You even talked about it. It's really good. Yeah. I just feel like these are the things we need to learn in school. You know, and we don't, we get out of school and we're like, okay, what the frick does investing mean? Well, wait, let me ask you, are you an investor? Do you invest? I, you know, I use E-Trade, which is pretty okay. basic, but you know, does wonders. I love it. I think it's great. It's super easy. Um, so if you're not investing, try out E-Trade because it's, you know, for those of us who know nothing about investing, I, I, I figured it out. So anyway, real excited about this next guest because he is actually a Gen Zer, you guys, which for those of you who aren't up on the generations, that is the youngest of the generations entering the workforce right now. So super youthful. So yeah, let's bring Jack Rosenthal on. Jack is an 18-year-old entrepreneur and investor. He's the author of Teen Investing. It's the second number two best-selling book on teenage investing. Wow. I know. And he's also the founder of Young Investors Club, LLC, the largest teen investing club in the country. Oh, wow. Dang. This kid knows his shite. I know. And he uh, maintains his own investment portfolio. So uh, I'm so excited to have him on. Welcome, Jack. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. We're really happy to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Glad we could coordinate this. Tell us about yourself. What? Tell us how you got started, what you do. Who are you for people who are new to Jack Rosenthal? So my name is Jack Rosenthal. I'm 18 years old. I just finished up my freshman year at Babson College. As far as what what I did and why I'm different than any other 18-year-old is when I was 14 years old, I started something called the Young Investors Club. It started with just one member, me. And basically, the idea behind the club was to allow kids to invest money together in the stock market. Each kid would put in a 1000 bucks, and collectively, we'd manage all the money. Wow. By the end of that first year, I had 20 members that I recruited into the club, 20000 approximately in assets. That was when I was 14. Then by the time I was 16, we'd grown the club to like about 40 kids and 40,000 assets. And then by the end of that year, I decided I really wanted to rapidly expand the club and make it the largest teen investing club. So by the end of that year, we went from 40 to close to 100 members. And then we had, by the end of that year, over $120,000 in assets in the club's portfolio. It wow. was Charles Schwab account that we controlled, making it the largest that I'm aware of teen investing club. I've never heard of any other teenagers managing more money collectively than that. Where are these assets coming from? So each kid puts in $1,000. That's pretty much how it works. 
Gotcha. Okay. Wow. That's that's very intriguing. Getting a hundred teenagers to put in a thousand dollars is no no simple task. What made you start this? Why did you want to become an investor? Yeah, totally. So I was looking actually to join a similar kind of club. That's what came out of it. I was like, you know what? I, I want to join like a club where I can invest money, real money, alongside other teenagers that are actually investing in the stock market. Learn from them. Me teach them maybe something, and and hopefully we can all learn. So I couldn't find any club within my local area or online. So I created my own club. And that's really what birthed the Young Investors Club. Are your parents an investor or like, what were you taught this at a young age? So my dad is a lender and my grandfather, he's not an investor, but he like invests his own money in a trading account, like many Mm. grandfathers. Mm -hmm. Um, So he, so then that kind of goes back to the beginning of how I originally get involved in investing. My grandfather who actually passed away recently, but I'm super grateful for the impact he had on my life. And I dedicated both my books to him. He got me set up when I was eight years old with a few thousand dollars in a Fidelity account. And then since then, I've grown that account to, to larger than a few thousand dollars. And he's really the one who got me set up in investing. Wow. That's awesome. That's really cool, the impact of your of your family and, and how you've dedicated. So what are your books? that? And that's the story. About- and I'm, yeah, I'm not done with the life story yet. So oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you so, have so many I, life stories. Exactly. I, I've lived so much life. So I finished... Uh, at the end of high school, I finished running the club. That was the end of my senior year of high school. And I decided I wanted to pass the club on to another senior in high school or another high schooler, just because I always wanted a high school to be running the club. It wouldn't make sense for a college student to be running the club. So I passed on the club to another student who was really active and he was very happy to uh, take it over. And as my kind of parting gift to the club, I decided to write a book. And that book, not surprisingly, was on investing. And it kind of went over like all my strategies and all my principles I'd been taught slash I learned through investing throughout my whole life. And I gave away the book to all the members of the club, as I said, just like my farewell kind of present. And then I realized a ton of the information in the book was super valuable to any teenager that might be interested in investing. So I listed the book on Amazon. And since then, the book has now become the number two book for teen investing on Amazon, which I'm super proud of. And I'm glad that I've helped other, a lot of other wow. teenagers outside of the Young Investors Club, other than just the people in the Young Investors Club. And then most yeah. recently in my freshman year of college, I wrote my latest book, Teen Entrepreneurship. And that's all about being an entrepreneur as a teenager. Now we're done. And that, that, that's what takes me to this podcast. And that's the podcast, folks. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Okay, that's so... Like, can you tell us a little bit about investing? Like, give us some, like, I don't know, give us some little, some secret sauce tips. Well, so I, I don't really know any secrets about investing. Like, I don't know anything that like, I don't know any, uh, I can't predict the market. Anyone who can do that, be a billionaire. But a lot of times what I give advice to is like for teenagers that are looking to get started investing or parents that are teenagers, that's typically like, I guess like, uh, what's the word? My field, I guess you could say. Your niche, yeah. My niche, exactly. So for teenagers, typically what I recommend is you need like $5,000 to start investing just because that's an amount in today's world where the interest on that $5,000 is enough to keep a teenager excited. The interest on $5,000 is about $500 a year if you're making like 10%, 50%, 400 something like that, a few hundred dollars a year, which is enough to keep a teenager excited and interested in the stock market. So I recommend first work at summer jobs, doing whatever case, to build up $5,000 and then start your investment portfolio. And then as far as what to invest in, one of the best things that you have as your advantage as a teenager is you're totally long-term, much long, more, more long-term by definition than everyone else. Totally. So I recommend you, know, you find companies that most importantly you think are just going to exist in 20 or 30 years from now. Like which are the companies that are around today 
that you think are the most likely to just be around. Because if they're going to be around, population grows, economies grow, they will no doubt be bigger. As long as they're around, they'll probably be bigger. Um, and I just recommend you choose a list of companies you think are going to be around and then purchase those companies. And if you can, try and get in at a good point. So like, let's say if CEO resigns or something like that, try and get in on the dip. And that's my, that's my biggest like stock, individual stock picking advice I give to teenagers. Wow. Okay. So this is great because I feel like everyone's always like, the, you know, you got to start investing as early as possible. Most people start like 20s, maybe late 20s, maybe 30s even. And you got started early. So I'm curious because of your age, I mean, you're so young and you have all this knowledge about investing and you've done so much with it, but on the flip side of that, like, have you ever been, you know, not taken as seriously as you wanted to, because people are like, Oh, he's too young. What does he know? Or like, have you experienced oh, that? It's funny. It, actually it's funny. So what happened is when I was one the start of the young investors club, I had to have a lot of phone calls with parents. His parents would be like, what is this thing? I'm getting a thousand bucks. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is legitimate or not. So I talked to like tons of parents and stuff over the phone. And eventually we met up in person and some of the parents were talking to my dad at this meeting. We, we, we held three annual meetings when we ran the Young Investors Club in New York City at a um, financial firm, which is like a great way to meet everyone in person. But anyway, so they would say to my dad, like, oh, my God, like I thought your son was like an adult. And I was like 14 at the time. So if anything, because of the Internet and because of phone calls, no one actually even knew my age. And who knows, maybe if they had, it would have been harder to start the club. But I guess I sounded mature over the phone or mature enough to trick a, an adult over the phone when I was 14. So it yeah. didn't have that much of an impact on me. But but who knows? That's great. I mean, yeah. And I know from like my experience and, and you probably have heard this about your own generation, Generation Z, a lot of the generation, you know, we grew up on our phones, social media, things like that. Like, what do you attribute your your great communication? Like, you're just a really good talker. You're a really good speaker. You sound like very knowledgeable. What do you attribute that, like commu those communication skills to? Do you think that maybe other people your age don't necessarily have? Part of that was... Well, I just got started at an early age. Like, I mean, I just kind of got started earlier and speaking to adults and speaking over the phone and like having to present things much earlier in life than most people did. So I was probably like just as bad, it, probably worse than everyone else when I was 14. But like, then as I got older and more mature and also I like just did it more times, I think I just kind of got a lot better at it. And most teenagers just by definition have never had that much experience in terms of talking to people other than their friends. So that's probably what I attribute the most of it to. So Jack, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on financial literacy in the school system? I'm assuming you learned this all outside of school. You talked about your grandfather. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on financial literacy at school and where you think the schools are failing us as society? I mean, the you know, schools are failing us in like a big statement. I mean, like you know, every, every, first of all, you know, what's interesting education system is kind of like politics. Everyone thinks that like the government's terrible and the school system's terrible, but no one can agree how to solve it, which is like partially why it's so terrible. I would say just on like a simple basic note that seems pretty obvious to me. I think that a financial education is something that literally impacts everyone. I don't think there's something I could think of that more people will be involved in than finance. I mean, there's millions of Americans who are investors, either directly through mutual funds, indirectly through mutual funds, or directly through just stocks they own. Almost no other industry has that much exposure by one group of people. Like if you look at uh, teachers, only a small percentage of the population of teachers. If you look at finance professionals, like people that actually manage money, very small percentage. If you look at construction, 
real estate, whatever the case may be, it's all very, very small percentages. So it'd be like too much to teach the population, all the population, that one thing. But one of the broad things that applies to almost the entire population is money and money management and how to actually right. manage money. So it seems totally. to me pretty obvious that like, you know, teaching kids or teaching kids that will eventually turn into adults, like about savings and just about basic investing skills seems to me like a pretty good idea. And yeah, I definitely recommend teaching it the exact format. I mean, you'd have to look at it more closely, but I'd say like really the two skills they need to teach are one to start investing early because the truth is no matter what you start investing in the stock market, you need to invest in like very broad index funds. You'll come out on top if you just wait like 30 years. And if most people just waited 30 years, they do a lot better. But many people just wait too long to get started or they spend too much. But so many Americans have, mm -hmm. I would say like, a, there's, I'd say there's like a spending epidemic in this country. Not even, I'd say that's probably more of an impact on us. Well, I'm not going to say it's more of an impact than the pandemic because people died, but financially it probably is more of an impact on us. Like Americans are just so used to credit cards and racking up credit card debt, borrowing money and spending money. Like they need to be really taught more about saving money so that they have actual money to invest in the first place, which can, which can again grow. And then eventually you might not have to work a job if you have enough money coming in from your savings account. So those would be my thoughts on teaching it in the school system. Yeah. So much wisdom. I know. You're such a smart guy. Spending is kind of part of our culture. Thank you. Oddly enough. Thank you, AJ. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It is. It is definitely. So why do you think financial literacy isn't taught in schools the way it should be? I mean, like so many things just because of, like out of habit. Like, why do we have summer for school? Like, because it's the farmers back in the day, kids would go out to the field during the summer and then during the winter, they would learn from school. That, that's probably that's the same reason why it's still in place today. And then, of course, it sticks because the teachers unions will never give up summer. So by definition, kids will never learn over the summer. But if you look at like China, like they don't take summer off. I think they, they just work all year. And, and eventually they're 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 going to beat us because of that. That is supreme education. So, yeah. So I'd say the probably the biggest reason we don't teach it is out of habit. And I also think there's like it's not as cool, like learning how to code. See, that as like a cooler kind of thing to learn. Financial literacy is like, you know, it's cool, but it's kind of like more boring and long term. But I think I think that there's going to start to be a kind of like growth of it with things like Robinhood and the Reddit community, uh, mm -hmm. the Wall Street Bets Reddit community. It started to become like a cool thing now in culture, and I, I think eventually it'll adopt on in the high schools. It's already taught in most colleges, but I think it'll eventually be taught in high schools. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I feel like you come out of school and you know nothing about real life, like. You don't know how to do your taxes. You don't know how to budget. Like it's all these basic things. It's like, why don't we learn this yet? I totally agree with you. I don't get it either, Caitlin. It's definitely out of habit. Like I think there just needs to be kind of like a massive change or shift or something that'll happen and, and these schools will take it on. So as far as kind of going back to your generation, being Generation Z, what do you, I guess, notice among your friends that maybe, you know, when you were starting this club, did you see a little, a lot of interest? Um, because Gen Z is known for being very interested in financial security and figuring that out early. So did you find that among your friends? Did you find that there were any misconceptions about that? Or like, were they super interested? I guess I'm just curious about your thoughts on your own generation. So first of all, I didn't really recruit any of my friends to it two reasons one and if it was my friends they weren't going to take it as seriously um and two i didn't have enough friends to get a hundred people to all put in in order to get a hundred people to put in a thousand dollars you need to like contact like ten thousand people so it's not like every it's a numbers game contact. it's a numbers game so so actually what i did is i found a network that had a lot of parents in it and we partnered with that network in order to get all the members basically so they would send out blast emails to parents on their email list 
and then say, hey, is this something your kids would want to be a part of? And then as part of that, like it's basically named as part of that larger group. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how we grew the club. And then as far as interest that we got from that, oh yeah, there was a ton of interest, way more than I, I thought we would most get 10 kids to join that club. I never thought we'd be able to ever get anything a year, like um, uh, two digits or a or hundred. So yeah, I know there's way more interest than I thought. I thought I was the only kid who was interested in investing, especially because in my middle school or my high school, when I started that, like I was like one of the two, one or two kids that was like interested in investing. Most kids were not, but then I found that once you contact enough people, there's like one or two of me in every town. And then yeah. that's how we got a lot of kids. That's yeah. so fun. That's exactly when I started my club in high school, I was the same way. I was like, there's nobody else like me. And then when you start to get the word out, you start to spread the message. It's like, and I find it interesting that you went through the parents. Cause I think that's a really smart thing. Cause every parent wants that for their child. So it's just a matter of like, getting that interest from somewhere and getting them to pass it on to their kids. And I think that's really smart. Exactly. So what is your business right now? Like, do you have an investment firm? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So making investments is not a business. Like any kid who tries to be like, Oh, I'm like an investor. Like, okay. You have a thousand dollars and you're making 10% a year on that. You're making a hundred dollars a year. Let's say you're making a really good return, $200 a year, 20%. That's not really a business. So yeah, so I do run a business. I run a marketing company that I've run now for two years, helping people run their social media pages. That's business I started like while I was in high school. Business did pretty well while I was in high school. A lot of people trusted me to manage their social media pages because I was a teenager. And that business basically created a lot of the cash flow that I then used to invest. So what does a typical day look like for you, Jack? It seems like you have a lot going on and a lot to juggle. How do you manage it all? All right. Well, so let's see. I, I wake up around uh, 10 a.m., which is when my first class starts. Leave very little time in between. <laughs> I know girls are like, what? I can never do that. Um, <laughs> so so I wake up at like around 10 and my first class starts at 10. Then I go get some lunch. Um, and then depending on my class schedule, I have another class at like two or another one at four. And then let's say if day finishes around six o'clock. I don't get started really on work until then during the weekday because i found this is what I found when I was in high school that it like, I couldn't do two things at once. It was very hard for my brain to switch from going like school mode to work mode. It was like two totally different things, totally yeah. different incentives. One thing is like, I need to like, you can control the outcome a lot more in school. You can like, there's one decision maker, the teacher. It's like, it's a totally different environment. Um, different things you need to say, different priorities. So anyway, so I basically until six o'clock or until the classes were over, I just focus on school and then after that, then I go like do all the work stuff. A lot of that during the week is just kind of maintenance kind of stuff. Like, you know, responding to emails, maybe take like one or two phone calls during the week. Um, then on Fridays, I had a full, we have apps and we have no class on Fridays. So that's like a whole open day. I could pretty much do whatever nice. I want. Try and do some like sales activities on Friday and Saturday. That's like the big kind of sales days. If, if I can like you know, stop hanging out with friends for a second and, and go, go do sales. If I can remember. <laughs> um, and, and that's pretty much how I run the business during the week. I know that's like a, not a day in the life, but I think that kind of gives me more, more of a broad yeah. overview because each day changes. So, so that's the business that I run. And then that's a lot, that business kind of inspired me writing the teen entrepreneurship book. So you have two books, go ahead and plug them right now. Teen <laughs> investing. Everyone is a parent. Go get that kid. Go get that book for your uh, son or daughter, or if you're a young person, Go get that book and the teen entrepreneurship. 
for uh, young entrepreneurs. So are you still doing your young investors clubs or are you more focused on the book side of things on, you know, are you growing those clubs or? Yeah. So the young investors club totally not involved with that anymore. I left it off to a high schooler. High schooler now runs the club. I think it's changed hands two times now, but the club continues to run to this day, which is cool that I kind of set that in motion. The books is more of a priority now going on podcasts like this one, kind of promoting the books. That's a cool thing. I really enjoy doing these. This is definitely like not work. I'm sure it's not work at all to you guys either. And, and yeah, so so that's what I'm focusing on right now. And then I also run the marketing company and then I also manage my own investment portfolio on the sides. That, that, that's everything I do. Okay, so Jack, you go to Babson. Congratulations, great school. What what was your thought process in going to school? Just sharpen your business skills or what? Yeah, uh, my thought process there is number one entrepreneurship school. So, you know, good entrepreneurship. Um, it's close to Boston. I wanted to be close to a city that was like the most, that was the number one most important thing for me when I was going to college. And then three, it's like a cool, I think it's a, a nice place to meet other kids because they're all kind of entrepreneurship minded. So if I said, yes, networking would be the third one. Kind of going off of that. Do you feel like your education at Babson is really necessary for, cause I know what we do sometimes we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and some of them have gone to higher education to universities. Some of them haven't. And it's kind of mixed messages as far as like, has that been a big contributing factor to you and to growing your business? How, how do you feel? I guess so far, I know you've only had a year there so far. No, it, it has not helped in growing my business or making me any more money in any way. So no, it has not helped at all. Uh, I'm hoping maybe one day it'll help. Uh, and the fourth reason of just why I decided to go to college in general, other than my parents kind of forced me to, was was that I, I think it's a really good backup option. So like, you know, so many entrepreneurs or so many people like are so risky, they don't really protect the downside. Going to college gives you always something in the back of your pocket. Like you can always go work a steady kind of job and provide income, at least for a temporary period of time. But nevertheless, if like an entrepreneurship kind of thing doesn't work out or, you know, whatever happens, you can always kind of go back to that. And it's really nice safe or safety net to have. So that's, totally. that's why they went to college. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like that's why my parents said that too. And I like, you know, there's always something like I was majoring in film and theater and then they were like, oh, just have business as your backup major. You know, it's always like there's <laughs> some sort of ba- backup. So what is your, I guess, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Like what, are, what is your goal for yourself? Do you have like a dream of something you want to do, where you want to be, who you want to be? I guess, right. Being an investment banker, being a senior level investment banker in 10 years from now, that would be my goal. Okay. That's cool. a good goal. Simple I feel like you definitely need college for that. You definitely do need college. Yeah, they don't hire too many uh, investment banking analysts not in college. Yeah, unlike the startup world. So tell us about uh, like, do you have any mentors, Jack? And if so, how did you find them? So I don't really have any mentors really specifically on investing. Like most that I guess my grandfather taught me some. I researched some online. That's where a lot of that knowledge came from. Like you asked, I am. A mentor to other people, like I mean, a lot of other kids that have found me online or read my books or were in the Young Investors Club. I've taught a lot of those kids about investing. Um, but yeah, as far as my main mentor, it's really my grandfather and just kind of researching online. No one specific person has really taught me like a ton about investing. Just all really self-taught. YouTube University, right? YouTube, yeah. I mean, YouTube can do much more now than in the old days. I think why it was so crucial to have a mentor really have someone who like saw it look after you coming up is there was no other way to learn really anything other than just relying on one person or multiple people 
But now, I mean, you can get a world-class education online. My dad says that all the time, and it's 100% true. If you can get, a, if not a better education than many universities or many, just one person could teach you online. So yeah, online and my grandfather. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much knowledge out there. It's like, we, we just have to look. So it's summer now for you and you're in New York City right now. What's, what's your plan for the summer? Do you pursue like, I don't know what it looks like for investment banking. Are there like internships? Like, what do you, I guess, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm doing a short-term program at an investment bank this summer. And yeah, that's kind of what the short-term plan for the summer looks like. I have to kind of, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do after that. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the rest of the summer looks like. And then, and then pretty soon school, soon, pretty soon school will be starting up again. So that's the plan for the summer. So Jack, you mentioned uh, you have your own portfolio. Can you kind of share some details on that? What do I got? Yeah. Uh, so I got a Fidelity account. Fidelity is usually the one that I recommend for everybody. I mean, all the financial I use, professionals. I use, I, I use E-Trade. How's that? That's, that's, I think that's part of Fidelity. I'm pretty sure that's like associated oh. with Fidelity. All right, yeah. All right. Fidelity, I'm pretty sure owns that one or it might not. Maybe that's BlackRock, but whatever. It's, it's one of the major <laughs> ones. I use Fidelity, whatever. People get so caught up in like which trading thing they're using. Like as long as it's not like one of the really bad ones, it takes like super high fees. You're, it matters more about what you're investing in, not the vehicle, not the thing that actually makes the investments for you. So what stocks do you own? Give us the deets. So what do I own? I own a decent amount of S&P 500, which is just the top 500 US companies in the world. Um, I don't spend like a ton of time now investing. I got, I'm busy with doing other things. Like I have to sell books and I have to run my marketing company, which produce money that I can go then invest. And the truth is I, I recommend that so many people just like take a big percentage of your money. If you don't really want to worry about like spending time investing, just put it all on the S&P 500. That's the top 500 US companies in America. It's an index of all of them. It's been go, it's gone up eight to 10% for the last 50 years. It's probably going to go up eight to 10% for the next 50 years. Great, great investment vehicle, very diversified. I'd say more overall pretty safe because it's got 500 of the top companies in it. As long as you believe in the US and the US economy, it's just going to continue to be on a bull run. You might you might be paying a little more for it right now than I'd pay. I, I bought it in a while back. But uh, but I think as long as you hold for the long run, you'll be okay. So I own, so I own a big portion of that. I got Amazon, which I really like. Speaking of companies that I think are going to be around in 30 years from now, I think if there's one company I know is going to be around for a super long time, it's Amazon. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's going to internet sales. I mean, like every single, I even internet sales, I think are still like less than 1% or 2% of the total retail sales in America. But of that 2%, Amazon controls 50%. So like if you see internet sales ever going to like 10% or 20 or 50% of online of sales, which I think they very easily could be, Amazon still controls, let's say half of that. That's an enormous company. So Amazon, I like. Uh, what other investments? Berkshire Hathaway, that's Warren Buffett's company. That's an amazing company that my grandfather held for many years and now I uh, will hopefully hold for many years. Um, that's a safe so yeah, one, are, right? Berkshire that's a very, very safe, safe one. They own like Dairy Queen and Geico and just like great mm. companies that are like very stable and very good. And very simple businesses, a lot of them. Simple, yeah. Okay, so on that same note, let's talk about risk and taking risk as an investor. Like, how do you manage risk and what is your advice to other people out well, there? Well, you can't talk about risk without talking about cryptocurrency. So, I, I put a very small percentage uh, or a small amount of money, a small percentage of my money in um, in cryptocurrency. I put 
some money in Ethereum. That money, that money like went up a little bit, then it went down. But overall, I think I'm still up. Whatever, that, that's a small investment. I think that crypto is something that I kind of play around a little bit. I think there are some long-term uses, um, you know, like like you see with the GameStop and AMC stocks. Like if it has perceived value, all of a sudden it has real value because who's to say a US dollar is worth anything? Just the fact that a hundred million people or a billion people say it's worth something. And so therefore it's worth something. Same thing with these online currencies. So I think that the online currencies are not going anywhere. I think now's probably a good time to get in on them. I think Bitcoin's dropped a little bit this week, but like, you know, like you should do your own research. And yeah, I think that, I think that managing risk is good. And I think you should make some risky plays as a kid. You look at all those kids that like put like a thousand dollars in a Bitcoin back when it was a thousand dollars a coin and they made a killing. So I think you should, I think you should take kind of smaller kind of risky investments like that, especially as a young person, when you have very little to lose, you don't have like a family support, you don't have that many bills to pay or anything like that. But I definitely don't think you should put like all or even half your money in a very risky investment. Yeah, I agree. Like starting young, you, you're, you're in it for the long haul. So you don't have to worry about losing a, a little bit here and there on risky things. So that's a great exactly. point. So as far as you know, starting this club, writing these books, starting your business and, and at such a young age, what do you, I guess, what advice might you have for another young person, maybe in high school or college listening to this, that, that maybe wants to try that out too, starting their own thing. What advice do you have? Yeah. So get the 5,000 from a summer job or some kind of job or something during the year, then invest it. And I'd say invest most of it in the SP 500, maybe put some money in cryptocurrency and then just keep adding to that amount every year for more summer jobs or entrepreneurship or whatever the case may be is <laughs> go check out the team investing book. If you want to like look at different investments that you can make outside of S&P 500 kind of the strategy that I use to invest, but there's tons of other great material online too. And yeah, that pretty much be my life. That would be my uh, plan for like your average okay. teenager in America. And I think if they thought many teenagers follow that advice, they do, they wouldn't really have that many financial troubles when they're older. So you've talked about the book a lot. You're pushing this book. What has the book done yeah. for your business? Has it been a so, great tool? Like, like I'm not like a writer. Like so someone, so we were talking like a publishing company once. They're like, oh, like Jack's like a great writer. I'm like, no, it's actually not really like one of my main things that I do like on a daily basis. I just kind of wrote some books for fun, like one month. And then we happened to sell some of them. So, so the book has not really done anything for my business. But it's more kind of started to put me in like authority space a little bit as a teenage investing brand. I'd say like all teen investors, I don't know if there's too many other teenagers that speak about investing, but it's definitely done something there. Um, and it's just been like a cool source of, I guess, income that I made. And also just a really great way for me to spread my message, like beyond just the people that I taught in the Young Investors Club, but like a great way to teach thousands of kids across the country about investing. So when you're no longer a teenager, then I was just going to ask, I was just <laughs> right. That's what, yeah, that. that's what everyone asks. That's what all the publishers are asking. They're like, you know, Jack, this teenager thing is going to run out pretty quickly. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm already almost 19. That means in a year from now, I won't be a teenager anymore. So what am I supposed to do? So I was thinking about writing like a college investing book for college or like a young person's investing book. I had to kind of figure out what exactly I'm going to do there. But I think just like the idea of just in general, young people investing is still a very big category. Then you can expand that from like 18 to 30. That's the young investor you could do till you're 30 at least. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a huge market of people. Wait, are you telling me we're done being young at 30? I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone's got their own <laughs> definition of young. I mean, people, since I, since people are living to like very late nowadays. So 
True. I guess. Who's I think to say? Who's youth, to say what young is anymore? The new youth is t- uh, till at least like 40, 45, maybe. Very true. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the concept of teenage investing is always going to be relevant. So regardless of whether or not you're a teen, you're always going to be able to say, I started investing when I was a teen. Here's what I learned. Like here are the things that I think all teens should know. So it's not like it could just like stop being your thing because you could still do speaking to teens and you know, all of that, because it's such a key time in your life that you should know these things. Yeah, definitely. This is one of our classic questions um, that we like to ask all of our guests, but what are your thoughts on, do you, do you think entrepreneurs are born or can they be created? I think they're born. Mm, Please, please expand on that. Well, I mean, listen, I just feel that there's like, there's people that are born and are certain ways. I'm going to give an example, like the reverse. So there's this kid that I met uh, in, in kindergarten, even in kindergarten, this kid was like just a bad kid. Like he didn't listen to the teacher. He didn't follow any of the rules. Anyway, not surprisingly in 12th grade, he's no better of a kid. He's still just this very bad troublemaker kid. Who's, you know, a drug addict and not really going anywhere in life. And I know people are going to be like, well, people change the truth. And, and on the other hand, me and, you know, in kindergarten, I, I don't, I don't know what I looked like from the outside, but I was probably like, you know, a polite rule following kid who did his homework on time and, and did everything that he was asked to do. So it's like, you know, were, were, were we like taught differently in school? Maybe, maybe we had some sort of different impact on our environment. But I think when it starts like that early, I, I think that it's just kind of, you set yourself up on a direction and a path and you just kind of go down that path. And I think a lot of that is not like, what your parents say to you. It's not like, it's not what you learn in school. It's not necessarily your environment so much. It's just like what's inside you when you're born, like what kind of person you're going to be. And I think so much of that stuff is decided at birth. Like, like I know people have their own different opinions about it and they're welcome to have their own opinions. But I think that so much of what people are going to be like is like just decided when they're born. Mm, I like that. Anyway, so, you're the so first that person to say that. I'm the first person to say that. Well, you know, <laughs> You know, my even my school disagrees with that model. Johnson <laughs> says entrepreneurs are made or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that that kind of like hustle or or that kind of I don't know what the exact word would be, but like grit, that kind of the grit, whatever the case may be, is like someone could be like, oh, do this, but it's like so different when there's no textbook there to tell you what to do. And then like on the other hand, I know kids that are very studious, but like as like I said, the second they don't have a textbook, they're like lost. Right. Like they're like, whoa, 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 what am I, what am I supposed to do next? And so like this kid at school, very smart kid, went to a very good college, but he only knows how to follow the textbook. He doesn't know how to do anything outside of that mm-hmm. versus me. I'm not as good at following the textbook. I'm good at it, but I'm not as good at it, but I have an idea of like how to write my own textbook. So yeah. that's a lot more of a useful skill when it comes to being an entrepreneur than knowing how to follow rules. Yeah. I was just thinking totally. like if Babson started saying that entrepreneurs were born, it's not good for their business model. Right. <laughs> right. That, right. That's probably why they say it. That they probably, want people to enroll. Exactly. They want to teach entrepreneurs. That's what they claim their exactly. value. Is. We can make them. Yeah. All right. Can you talk a little bit about some sacrifices you've had to make? Like you're a young kid, but like, like what are some sacrifices you had to make? as this teen investor growing up and now with your agency? Right. I mean, like, what would you think of as like a sacrifice? Can you give me an example? Maybe? Like, I know when I've been asked that question, like going through high school, I, I feel like 
I had to go, I had to maybe spend a little more time doing the things that involved my business versus like hanging out with friends or like partying on the weekends. Like I prioritize things differently, which like you don't necessarily, like I wouldn't say that now was a sacrifice for me, but some people could say that was a sacrifice. Right. Like that's the thing, like is a sacrifice, but like, I'd rather be working on this. So it's like, I don't know. It's hard to define as a sacrifice. I'm definitely saying like, there's times when like you can't hang out with friends because the business comes first, but like, I don't do that all the time or anything like that. I don't know. It's very hard to point to one specific sound. Like, I don't know if I can give you the answer you're looking for because it's hard to point to like one exact thing. Um, I would just say overall, you know, it takes time to start a business. That's definitely true. But I'd say for like so many kids, like where else was I be spending that time? A lot of that time, you're not with friends all the time. Like, don't kid yourself. It's not like you're just school and friends. That's all you do. Most of the time you spend is like just dead time watching TV, Netflix, YouTube, playing games, whatever the case may be is. So I'd say like, I kind of sacrificed a lot of that time, but that's like a good sacrifice. And like, what else would we be doing with that time? Probably not a lot. So, so I'd say I didn't really make that many sacrifices so far. That's how I'd answer it. That's a good thing. And I also think that that goes along with the like living with no regrets. Cause it's not like you're, you look back and you're like, you know what? I missed out on such and such because of this, but it's rather like, no, I would have rather been doing that. And I'm happy for where it's taken me. I feel like exactly. I stumped you a little with that question. I know you, you, you got me there. Cause I like, I, I might've been, I don't know, but yeah, I just can't think of any specific sacrifice I've made. But like I said, it's like, what was I sacrificing playing video games? Like, is that even a sacrifice? So at Babson, when you're being like, you're at this great entrepreneurial school, right. And you have started your business. Did you feel like when you're going through this education and these classes, do you already feel like you're a step ahead because you've had this experience of. Yeah. Well, like the entrepreneurship class was totally useless. I mean, you could learn more from my book, teen entrepreneurship, than you could learn from that specific class. I learned so much more in like classes that don't have to do with that. Like for example, accounting. I learned a ton of account. Like I would have never learned that outside of uh, going to school. And a ton of that knowledge is like really useful knowledge that you need to know going into something, going into almost any business accounting. Um, and I learned also uh, business law, which just kind of gives you like a over a big picture law overview background, yeah. like how arguments are made. So both those two classes alone were like super helpful. But then like learning about things I already know about, it's like, you know, like it's not going to teach me a ton. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it's what you make of it. <laughs> I was just going to ask one more quick question because we got to wrap up here. So I, we're talking a lot about your success and your success and you're such a young What guy, are the failures? Yeah. Are there any failures? Are there any less oh, hard t- lessons? Tons you of them. Tons. We could spend the whole podcast talking about failures. It's only probably because of my failures that I had successes. So I tried to start, I, I ran a, for part-time, a successful vending machine business, but then I tried to expand the vending machine business and that failed. I also tried AJ's to AJ's like vending m- machine king <laughs> over here. Oh, so he knows, he totally understands. He's going to understand the exact problem. Watch. I bought five vending machines. What was the problem? Let's see if you couldn't can... find locations for them. Ding, 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 ding. How did he know? Anyone in the vending machine business will know, like, that's the problem. <laughs> so, so I had one, it was going very successful. And then I like, okay, let me buy five and then I'll figure out how to place them. And then I couldn't find Anyway, so, so that was a loss. And then I also tried to start an idea, an invention that I had, which was a bathing suit with a waterproof pocket. Pretty genius idea, right? If you think about it, like going to the beach where you put your phone. I don't know, not my pocket because I'm going to go in the ocean or I go to a water park. That's like really a big thing. 
where you put your phone all day, like someone's going to steal it or your wallet. Genius idea. But like in terms of prototyping it, it proved to be very expensive. And then like even the prototyping company that we paid a lot of money to didn't get the product. It wasn't hundred percent waterproof. So anyway, so those are two, those are probably my two biggest failures, but then it kind of took a lot of the lessons that I learned from those to then start my marketing company, which then became more successful and basically paid for all the other failures then and then much more. Uh, I was I probably wouldn't have been as, I probably wouldn't have been successful with that without the first two. Really, the big thing that I learned from the marketing company is like the sales come first. So you got to go out and sell the sell the building before you build the building. That's a huge lesson that That's you only great learn. Lesson. Until until you failed as an entrepreneur, you'll never like learn. You'll never learn that lesson going in. And you know, so many people when they start a business, like so many people that when they start a marketing business, go out and get the website, and they gotta go get an office and some chairs and some notepad, whatever. And it's like, okay, well that's great, but how are you gonna get any clients? So I went out and got the clients first, and then kind of built the business. Then the figured it out. Totally. And then figured it out. That was like a little gem of information right there at the very end. So for all of them that stick at the end, stuck at the end. Got I know that was, that was your reward for sticking it out. <laughs> um, I love it. So Jack, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on my books. <laughs> Cause so like, I don't really have like, I don't really have a social media presence. I mean, I do, I have my personal Instagram, Jack Rosenthal, but usually that's just like for friends and stuff. Um, you can find my books on Amazon, Teen Investing, under Amazon, Jack Rosenthal, Teen Entrepreneurship, Jack Rosenthal. You could find me uh, on YouTube. That's the last place you could find me, Jimmy Duke on YouTube. Love it. I, now I have to explain one second why I use the other name. Jimmy Duke is this name I created when I was 17 because my parents didn't want me to have a uh, my name online when I was under 18. So I made the name Jimmy Duke and I never just bothered to change it because now people kind of know me on YouTube is that anyway. So Jimmy Duke on YouTube, 450 subscribers, go subscribe there. Love it. Nice. Amazing. Well, thank you, Jack. This was a great time. We loved getting to know you. You have a bright future ahead of you. Um, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for saying that. Appreciate it. Appreciate Caitlin and AJ's time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.